crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got a big free. Broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and happy to be joining you live. Before we jump into anything, uh, please allow me once again to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen, whether you are listening to the show at BTR or at Spreaker, or if you're listening to the podcast wherever you may get your podcast from, or if you're listening to the rebroadcast on great radio stations across the country, uh, radio stations like KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, regardless of where you're getting this show, thank you so very much for joining me. I do appreciate it. Uh, Let's do a few quick hits before we jump into uh, the primary stories of the day. Uh, First and foremost, for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast, or if you're just catching the podcast a little later, the time of the live broadcast is November 7th, 2021, and it's a few brief moments after 3 p.m. Eastern. Okay, uh, big story going on. Don't know how much we're going to get to see this one as far as the reporting that will go forward. But the prime minister of Iraq managed to survive an assassination attempt at his residence. Evidently, he was uh, the victim of a early morning explosive-laden drone detonation. Uh, the drone strike 
followed clashes in Baghdad between security forces and supporters of the pro-Iran militias. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things play out there. As more news becomes available, we may or may not readdress it. The real story here, however, is the fact that due to actions taken by the Biden administration, I'm looking at the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the you know, the uh, playing of patty cakes with China, the world is a much less safe place to be. Period. End of discussion. Also, another quick hit news story. Uh, this one also being very much underreported. But following an impromptu inspection of the uh, District of Columbia jail... A federal judge has ordered the release of the January 6th defendant, Christopher Worrell, over the mistreatment of detainees. Now, who could have known this was happening? We've been hearing reports for months now that these people who've been taken into custody related to the January 6th protest at the Capitol building that the left likes to keep insisting was an insurrection, uh, mostly because the left either willfully wants to inflame things or simply doesn't know the meaning of words. What's a scary-sounding word that's kind of sort of the same thing? Okay, so they've got uh, obviously, hey, here's a great book idea. Maybe I should do this. Uh, somebody will probably beat me to it, though. Let's do the leftist thesaurus. Uh, it was a protest. It was less violent and less disturbing than most of what's been going on for the past summer, previous, uh, going on in the streets of Seattle and Portland and uh, similar cities. Much less scary, much less damn. Now, that still doesn't make it okay, don't get me wrong. But this was still a protest by any other definition. It's just that this protest happened at the Capitol. So it was very scary for some of the people there. It was very scary for people like AOC, who actually, turns out, wasn't even there. She's over in her office you know, a couple blocks away. But it was very scary because a police officer showed up, banged on her door, and scared her. <laughs> anyway, point being here. A lot of these folks have been detained. They've been mistreated. Uh, they've been held. They're being treated as if they are, in fact, terrorists and enemies of the state as opposed to people who broke a few laws. And that really is what it comes down to. These people did engage in criminal activity. But the only person who was actually murdered, was actually killed, that died as a direct result of the incident that occurred on January 6th is still Miss Babbitt. Okay. One of the protesters. And there's still a lot of question marks about whether or not this was a legit clean shoot or not. So, you know, just take that for whatever it's worth. At any rate, the surprise inspection in question uh, that happened at the jail was conducted by U.S. Marshals. It took place last month, but we're just hearing about it now. The report of the inspection wasn't made public until last Wednesday. Due to the findings of this inspection... U.S. District Judge Royce Lamberth said that he has, quote, zero confidence that the D.C. jail will provide the treatment correctly and not retaliate against Worrell, who happens to have cancer. This was actually reported back in the, on last Wednesday on CNN. Now, Lamberth called the jail conditions deplorable. 
and beyond belief, ordering Voros transfer immediately to another jail and then released home to start cancer treatment. Some 400 prisoners are being moved out of the jail after the deplorable conditions were uncovered. Also, according to CNN, the Marshall's report found that water was being shut off in many cells for punitive reasons for days at a time. Toilets would be clogged, and the inmates who had been prepper sprayed were unable to wash spray off for days. This, of course, led to infections, other health issues. So the D.C. Department of Corrections staff were antagonizing detainees and directing detainees to not cooperate with U.S. Marshals during the inspection. The DOC staffers were observed telling a detainee to stop snitching. So last month, Lambert called for the Department of Justice to open a civil rights investigation into the matter and held two officials in contempt of court for delaying medical treatment to world. It's This is a quote here, by the way, from Lambert. It's more than just inept and bureaucratic shuffling of papers. Does no one care? Does no one follow up? I find that the civil rights of the defendant have been abused. I'm going to go back to the question. Does no one care? Does no one follow up? Oh, I guarantee you plenty of people are keeping an eye on these political prisoners because that's who and what they are. The people who have been round up, the grandpas and grandmas who have been thrown in jail as a show of force by this federal government. An attempt to let you see what happens to those who question the current regime. Those individuals who just happen to have a D at the end of their name, who happen to be in charge at the moment. This is about what happens when you take to the streets and give them a dose of their own medicine. You are not permitted to challenge these people, not without some type of punitive result. And this is the result for January 6th. Some of the people who are presently being detained or were presently being detained did little more than show up at the scene when other people entered. Okay, Some of the people that are sitting in a cell right now charged with criminal trespassing never went past where the barricades had been sent. That's a little nugget that most of you probably don't know. And the reason I say that is because there's no reporting of that information. And if you mention something like that, then you're treated like you're the crazy one. You're treated like you're some wild conspiracy theorist. If I sit here and tell you that what happened on January 6th at the Capitol building was not, in fact, an insurrection, I'm the crazy guy, and I'm probably in on it. I'm quite certain the FBI has a file on me for things I've said over the years on this show already. If the FBI doesn't, I'm quite certain that someone somewhere else in Homeland Security does. And I'm sure the current deep state operatives who are trying to ensure the transition from our constitutionally federated republic that we are supposed to have into this new socialist utopia that they keep dreaming of, I'm sure they're more than prepared to try and stop me and anyone else who's willing to voice the truth on the matter. So be prepared if you happen to occasionally post something on social media that says, hey, by the way, I love my country. I'm ashamed of my government. Ooh, you're a radical. You're going to have to be stopped. 
crazy stuff, crazy stuff. But anyway, uh, that is good news as there is, in fact, federal effort to put an end to this ongoing insanity of how poorly these folks are being treated. And they are being treated rather poorly. All right. So also something else that's going on in the country that is absolutely nuts Kyle Rittenhouse, the trial. It's been going on for better than a week now. We'll be going into more than a week uh, very soon. The question is, why does it take this long? It's already pretty much open and shut, right? There's already no question. Have any of you been paying attention to the testimony and the things that are going on with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial? Now, for those of you who, I don't know, maybe work for a living, and then the last thing you want to do when you go home is become depressed with how bad things are by further listening to the news, especially politics. Maybe maybe you haven't had time to keep up with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. Uh, maybe some of you don't even recall who Kyle Rittenhouse is. Now, this happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kyle Rittenhouse was the teenager who ended up shooting and killing uh, somebody in self-defense during a protest. This wild and crazy protest that took place, uh, Kyle along with his father, were part of a group that uh, came to Wisconsin from the neighboring state ready to try and offer medical assistance to anybody who might need it and were there to physically protect a specific friend's business. That's what they were there for. That's why he was armed. He had a rifle. Okay, so this guy wasn't concealing he wasn't trying to be a threat to anyone, but he was trying to make sure that people understood that he was prepared to defend himself if need be. So the trial started now because he's been charged because obviously whenever you're on the wrong side of the PC army, if you're trying to protect private property, if you're trying to protect innocent people, then you're the enemy of the state these days. So he had to be charged because if, if he wasn't charged – if Assistant District Attorney Thomas uh, uh, Benger wasn't in the courtroom telling people that this is the worst guy since Hitler, if they didn't pursue this, then they would have more riots on the streets because we all know how wild and crazy things get in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Now, I say that because, let's be clear, the riots that took place in Kenosha when Kyle Rittenhouse did what he did was a direct result of having a lot of people bust in from other parts of the country, a lot like a lot of these protests have been. You know, you can go further back. You can go back into the 2018s, the 2016s, and you will find a lot of the protests that have caused damage to local businesses are not the result of local people getting unruly, but are the result of people who do not live there, who will face no consequences, coming in and running amok. So there's no question. There's no doubt. Kenosha, Wisconsin, on its own, you typically don't have to worry about unfettered riots on the streets. But it has been just one thing after another that makes it clear, makes it crystal clear that Kyle Rittenhouse should not be charged in this case. It's clear-cut self-defense. The prosecution is the one proving the self-defense case. Now, I'm not going to go out on a limb here and say that, hey, you know, there is no way they get a conviction here. What I am going to say is that if you are 
dispassionate, if you're not invested in getting a guilty verdict and you just simply look at the evidence that's being produced, if you listen to the testimony that's been brought forth by prosecution witnesses, then it's pretty clear that this kid was polite, he was helpful, and that he was running for what he perceived to be his life. The guy he shot and killed had made threats to him and a group of other people earlier in the day. The prosecution has no case. This is not an instance of the prosecution being inept, unable to offer up a case because they're incompetent. This is a case of them simply not having a case to build. They tried introducing video footage from an FBI drone, which, ooh, kind of strange situation there, too, raising a lot of questions. What's going on here? Um, they had to deal with the terrible quality video, because that's all the FBI was willing to offer up for evidence, claiming that the high-definition video that was, in fact, available was somehow accidentally destroyed. Now, I'm not going to say that that's not true, but I am going to say that's awful strange, isn't it? I mean, we know that the FBI has the capabilities of acquiring a great deal of uh, evidence. They have the capabilities of running investigations that are quite capable of it. They certainly know what the rules are, what the rules aren't. They So, you know, obviously they know exactly what they're doing when they break those rules. But it just seems really odd. Now, I, again, I can't say with any certainty that somebody there wasn't so incompetent as to accidentally destroy this video drone footage. But I'm going to say it's really kind of odd. It's, it's really strange that this would just happen in this particular case because the footage that was remaining, that was offered up as evidence for this trial, is just blurry enough that it's really hard to make out exactly what's happening. So it doesn't really paint a true picture. You just kind of get to see, okay, this guy's right in here, this guy's right in here, okay, and then they're stopping, and you get to hear a gunshot. And the first shots didn't come from Kyle. Kyle did not do this. Now, should there be perhaps some charges on the possession of the weapons? Because in Wisconsin, technically it's illegal for him to, to have that firearm as he was only 17 at the time this was occurring. Maybe. But since he didn't actually purchase it there, there's some kind of gray area there as well. This was not his firearm. It was given to him for his use strictly as a last result, and clearly it was needed that day. So they might actually still have a hard time even getting that as a conviction if the court was being run the way it's supposed to. If simply law and order is what mattered in this hearing. But ultimately, that's the problem here. This, much like the Derek Chauvin trial, isn't about law and order, this, much like the Derek Chauvin trial, is about political activity. When you are dealing with people that are more concerned about the appearance of addressing social inequities than they are about what actually the law says, then all of a sudden lots of strange things can happen. When you have jurors, like in the Derek Chauvin trial, who walk in and who freely admit after the fact that, 
yeah, we convicted him on these charges just because we didn't want our city to burn. Freely admit it had nothing to do with the evidence that was presented, the case that was made by the prosecution, the, the legal definitions of the charges that had been brought. I mean, we talked a lot about this at the time that was going on, the Derek Chauvin trial. We talked a lot about it. We talked about how great the, uh, the coverage was, the journalistic coverage from Legal Insurrection. They did a fantastic – and they're doing a fantastic job again here as well. So kudos and hat tips to Legal Insurrection. Uh, you should be going there to get all of your information when it comes to big legal trials like this one. They do a much better job of covering it than any of the networks do. That is for sure. But to just give you uh, a, a little window into the minds of how these jurors work, there was actually a juror in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that was dismissed. Dismissed last Thursday for telling a joke to a deputy at the courthouse earlier that day. The joke, and this isn't verbatim, but this is uh, according to various reports, this is as close as we're going to get most likely. The joke simply said, why did the Kenosha police shoot Jacob Blake seven times? And the punchline is because they ran out of bullets. Now, first of all, that's not accurate. Those, both those officers that were on site had a lot more ammo, okay? Didn't run out of bullets. But the point was is this guy telling a joke like that clearly thinks that it's funny to paint the police in a negative way. So we got dismissed for this because he had a political slant. And this court is at the very least attempting to leave the politics outside of the courtroom. And that's been demonstrated quite nicely by the judge in this case. The judge, unlike the judge in the Derek Chauvin trial, has taken a lot of the completely inept and non-evidentiary uh, testimony and said, look, that's it. We're done with this. Stop with the BS. I don't want to hear about how some guy was always skateboarding from point A to point B, which is why he might have had a skateboard. What the testimony that should be relevant here is, did the guy with the skateboard take a swing at Kyle Rittenhouse trying to disarm him? And the answer to that is yes, but he's wanted to cut through the, the crap. He's criticized the journalistic reporting the sloppy and poor journalistic reporting from the major networks. This also includes Fox News, by the way. And for those of you that don't know the purpose of the joke, we're talking about Jacob Blake. He's the, uh, the black man who was left paralyzed after he was shot seven times by a white Kenosha police officer in August of last year. Remember, he was at his ex-girlfriend's house. There was a restraining order in place. He was trying to take the kids, even though he wasn't supposed to. He had been ordered to stop, and he went on around anyway. He'd been tased a few times. He was going into his car, and he was reaching for a knife when they finally stopped with the non-lethals and shot him. He survived. He was paralyzed. And, of course, uh, the Operation Knee Pads part of the current administration uh, had to go make a visit and talk very nice about how heroic he and his family are. And the guy was a criminal. The guy is violent. He's a bad dude. And he was going for a knife. I'm sorry. That's a clean shoot. Now, you may not like it. You may want to go defund the police. 
You're going to destroy your community if you do. Lots of communities around the country are discovering that fact and are trying to vote back in their police. Please bring the police back. We, we do not want you to defund. We want you to increase funding. We need law and order on our streets. You're a bunch of lawless maniacs without somebody here to walk that thin blue line. Now, the prosecutor said that the prosecution disapproved of the joke and wanted the juror removed. Well, there's a good reason. So Judge Bruce Schroeder questioned the juror, an older white man who used a scooter to move around uh, about the joke, and uh, asked him to repeat it. But the guy refused. Now, it's probably a good thing that he refused because at that point, he probably could have been in danger of being charged with um, contempt of court. Because I guarantee you that during the selection process, he had answered that he had no real uh, hang-ups. You know, I mean, this is the standard. When you, when you go in, when you're selected for the jury of such a high-profile trial, they want to make sure that you're not coming in with preconceived notions. They do the best that you can. It's like, uh, how much have you heard about this case? Can you render a verdict? based solely on the evidence presented. And to tell a joke like this kind of indicates that maybe maybe you can't get outside of your own head. Maybe you can't get around your preset notions and ideas. If you think it's funny that uh, Blake was shot in the first place, then you probably don't belong on this jury. If you think that it's funny that the only reason the cops stopped shooting is because they just finally ran out of ammo, then you probably don't belong on this jury because it's not very likely that if you find humor on any aspect of that story that you're going to be impartial in delivering a verdict. Now, some people, I, I will grant you, some people are in fact capable of feeling a certain way but then separating those feelings from objectively looking at something and rendering a vote, a verdict, a decision based solely on the facts as they were presented. Some folks can. But the problem is in this modern world we currently live in, we've kind of been trained that our feelings matter more than facts. That's the whole allure of the left. That's where the left gets their big idea that they're going to be able to control and move forward and do all these wild and crazy things like provide you free everything and deliver to you a socialist utopian society. The whole dream is based on this crazy idea that your feelings matter so much more than reality. Because if you take a few seconds to think about reality, the whole theory of socialism starts kind of just flying apart every time a little truth nugget shows up. You don't need truth bombs. Just a little truth nugget starts poking little holes in the ideology that a utopian society can exist. So at any rate, we've got the whole Kenosha thing going on, and Kyle Rittenhouse is a man trying to find his way back to freedom and liberty, something that he deserves. He should be acquitted. And if the law works the way it's supposed to in this instance, he will be acquitted. But, again, Derek Chauvin should have been acquitted of the charges that he had brought against him. And I will also be willing to bet you that at some point down the road, when most of America's attention has been turned elsewhere, he will appeal and Derek Chauvin will also be released at some point because 
the evidence that was presented, the case that was brought against him, did not warrant a guilty discovery. It did not warrant him being found guilty. And at some point, that will be reversed. I'm hoping that Kyle Rittenhouse, the young man that he is, does not have to spend time in jail because our judicial system doesn't have the courage to stand up and operate the way it was designed to, the way it's supposed to. And that is, it's the role of the prosecutor to build the case, not the role of the court of public opinion to let wild political activists determine a case before it even begins. All right, stay where you're at, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do... Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. What veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness should do for help? Veterans who are homeless or at imminent risk of homelessness are strongly encouraged to contact the National Call-In Center for Homeless Veterans at 877-4-AID-VET. That's 877-424-3838 for assistance. If a veteran does not have access to a phone or the Internet, only then are they to visit the closest VA medical center without calling in advance. All veterans should contact their VA medical center before visiting for any reason. These steps are necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Contact the VA at 877-424-3838 for more information. The VA wants to help. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. The persecution of Christians is now wrapping up all over the world, including here in the United States, as well as Great Britain. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, throughout history, Christians have supported God's plan for marriage between one woman and one man. That belief and custom has been a biblically-based and mainstream lifestyle custom that implies no malice towards anyone. Unnatural sexual attractions and activities are described in God's Word as undesirable and unclean. Like any other sin, Christians believe that through Jesus Christ, people are saved from the ravages of all sin, including unnatural sexual activities. Through that belief, many LGBTQ practitioners have actually left the unnatural lifestyle. So now, LGBTQ leftist advocates are petitioning the British government to make it illegal for churches to share God's moral standards and deliverance from what the Word of God calls sinful and unclean activities. This, dear listener, is not so much about believing or not believing, but rather to be free or not to be free, to exercise our faith. The loss of one right will lead to the loss of all rights. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. We often find ourselves arguing statistics with anti-gun people, but let's put the conversation into perspective. I'll give you some stats, but also expose the anti-gun left's real motives for gun control. First of all, don't you think that anyone who really wants to save lives would focus their attention on an area where the most lives are lost? The gun grabbers like to use the number of 30 to 40,000 gun-related deaths per year. But if we take out suicides, which are 60% of those gun-related deaths, which, by the way, are not reduced by the absence of guns, and we take out law enforcement-related deaths, in other words, good guys killing bad guys, 
we're left with about 14,880 gun-related homicides. But here's where it gets interesting. The majority of those gun-related homicides are gang-related. So let's say we didn't have the gang problem we have in this country. The number of gun-related homicides shrinks to 2,976 per year in America. And here's another interesting fact that the anti-gun left doesn't want you to know. The majority of gang-related violence occurs in Democrat-run cities across this country that are highly gun-restricted, by the way, and often allow violent illegals safe harbor. What that means is good people living within those cities are denied their right to protect themselves against the human violence that Democrats encourage with their bad policies. Now let's compare that to some other things that the anti-gun left could be working on if they really wanted to save lives. Drunk driving takes almost 11,000 lives per year in America. 47,000 lives are lost per year in America due to suicide, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia being two of the leading causes of suicide, not guns. But one of the biggest causes of preventable deaths in America is abortion. Almost 330,000 lives are taken per year in America by people committing abortion. Now let me give you a piece of information that the anti-self-defense crowd doesn't want you to know. How many lives do you think are saved every year because of guns? The answer is two and a half million. Every year in America, two and a half million lives are potentially saved by the use of firearms. Now this doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. And 46% of those lives saved are women. This is a study that was done by Gary Kleck, a Florida criminologist, and backed by data from the CDC. So why do you think the gun grabbers never share this information? Well, some would argue that they don't really care about saving lives as much as they care about disarming their fellow citizens and preventing them from independently protecting themselves and their families. Gun control is a top-down method that puts government in charge of the lives and safety of people under the guise of public safety. It's the first step in stealing the freedom our founders fought for. The anti-left has already decided that they are willing to give up their freedom to government. The problem is, they can't have their government-controlled utopian society unless you get on board. And real Americans are clearly not getting on board. Gun control is a way of forcing you into dependence, whether you like it or not. Now, we're never going to cure the evil in the hearts of killers, but we can stop them. So, to the gun grabbers, do you really want to save lives? Then get to work on the real causes of human violence and help us restore our gun rights so good people can protect themselves. Help us save lives rather than ending them before they get a chance to take their first breath. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to loadedmike.com. To check out my book series, go to goodgunbadguy.net. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for the second half of the hour. Thank you for uh, staying with us. Uh, again, great content from uh, Dan Wass right there. And, of course, before that, we heard Ron Edwards. And I want to give a special congratulations to Ron Edwards as this past week uh, he began reaching a whole new audience as the Ron Edwards Radio Experience 
Well, the Ron Edwards American Experience, I should say. That's the name of the actual show. But it is a radio experience. Uh, it debuted on the Liberty Works Radio Network. And uh, that is absolutely fantastic. I'm glad that uh, Ron is once again reaching yet a larger audience. Uh, if you are familiar with the Liberty Works Radio Network, uh, then you can tune in. Uh, as he brings you his message live at 3 p.m. Uh, weekdays, Monday through Friday. Uh, so very, very proud of Ron as he continues to expand the message. So again, uh, congratulations, Ron and Liberty Works Radio Network for having the wisdom to bring Ron on board, uh, joining the other many great hosts and shows that you guys have there. Fantastic. Uh, so very proud. Uh, of Ron. So good job, Ron. Good job. Now, would uh, also like to remind you folks that uh, in this wild and crazy world we're living in, the economy is less than stable. So you want to diversify your holdings. It's a good idea to have some precious metals. It's a good idea to have some of your money in crypto. Now, if you're not very smart about crypto, you're not very knowledgeable, you don't know too much about it, but you're anxious again. I would highly recommend just signing up at Coinbase. Uh, you can go over to Coinbase.com. That's easy enough to do. But I would ask you to actually follow the link into today's show description. Uh, you can copy and paste the link, put it in your browser, uh, include the entire link when you do that. That's the only way that they know I'm the one that sent you. Uh, and uh, from there, Coinbase, I, I recommend mostly because... They do such a phenomenal job in actually helping you to get the basics in understanding the ups and downs, the information you need to know. And they make it so very easy to invest, to hold, and to actually send and do whatever else you want to do with your crypto. It's phenomenal. Plus, part of their system, they allow you to earn free crypto uh, in a variety of different ways. In some cases, it's as simple as going through and listening to little tutorials about new coins that are available on the platform. And the really cool part about that is once you've earned those coins and those formats, you can then immediately convert them to anything else on the platform. So if you want everything in Bitcoin, if you want everything in Ethereum, uh, then okay, fine for you. That's a strategy. You can get your free coins, and then you can convert it immediately if you want to. Or you can hold on to it to see if it's going to go up in value. Uh, and then if it goes up in value, you can convert it. Now, I really think that that's really, really cool. That's just me. However, you also can cash out at any time. Now, they claim uh, that you should expect two to three business days before your uh, cash hits the bank. I've yet to see it take more than one day. So they don't hold on to it when they when you tell them you want your cash. You can cash out at any time. You can get it back in your account. So check it out, and if you feel like it, I think it's a great place for anybody who's new to crypto. I think it's a great place for anybody who isn't new to crypto but understands how important those features happen to be. So, uh, you know, again, just check it out. Follow the link in the show description. Use all of that link. And I say that because I've noticed over on Spreaker, that uh, the links will show up, but not the entire link will light up. So it's taking you to the site, but it's not 
giving them all the information that lets them know that it's me that sent you. And it's important to me that they know I'm the one that sent you. So please, if you're, if you're getting that information from this show, please, please go ahead and follow the link. Just copy and paste the whole thing uh, into your browser, the full amount, even the little parts that comes after anything that might actually be underlined and lighting up. Don't take the shortcut and just hit the link if it's working. Just do that. And if you're listening to the rebroadcast so that you don't see any of that, then come visit my show or come visit tapintothetruth.com. And from there, you can also easily get there. Okay? Okay. So that's enough of that business. Let's jump back into things. Now, here is a legit headline you may have missed. Now, of course, the last story where we're talking about the dismissed juror from the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, case might very well have been a headline you could have missed because there's not a lot of reporting going on about it. But this is a story that's probably way more important than one dismissed juror. This is a huge story, actually. And there is very little, shamefully, little coverage of the story. Federal authorities this past Thursday arrested the top researcher for the ex-British spy Christopher Steele's dossier. Of course, everybody knows at this point that the dossier has been discredited and that this was supposedly a report on a former president, Donald Trump. It was an attempt to try to derail Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. Didn't work. Most people knew it was BS. And here's the big thing. The FBI knew it was BS, but they still used this steel dossier to spy on Americans and to get their a little nose under the tent, so to speak. You know, what happens when a camel gets its nose under the tent, right? So in order to get the FISA warrants to spy on Trump's campaign, they used this dossier. They used what they knew was false information. There should be more people held accountable, and I'm beginning to think at some point maybe there will be. Don't know how far they're going to go up the little food chain and go get these people, But the higher they can go, the better off the whole country is going to be because when it comes to this type of deep state activity, one thing is clear. They all start thinking twice if they start believing that there's a chance they will pay a consequence. So what we're talking about in this case is Igor, or maybe it's Igor, but I think it's Igor. So Igor Danchenko. Now, Igor Denchenko was arrested as part of special counsel John Durham's investigation into Crossfire Hurricane, which, of course, was the FBI investigation into Trump's 2016 campaign and alleged contact with Russian agents. Danchenko is an, an, an analyst, as I stumble over words, is an analyst who provided Steele with a whole lot of the fake claims and false assertions that were compiled in the infamous Steele dossier. Danchenko's arrest was first reported by the New York Times, uh, oddly enough. Danchenko has been charged with five counts of making false statements to the FBI related to the sources that he used to provide information for the Steele's dossier. Dorm's office said, according to the Washington Examiner, Danchenko, who was born in Russia but lives in Washington, D.C., is slated to appear in a Virginia court uh, this upcoming Thursday afternoon. Uh, Quoting here, the June 15, 2017 false statement count alleges that Danchenko, 
denied that he had spoken with a particular individual about material information contained in one of the company's reports when he knew that it was untrue. Durham's office also said that the March 16, 2017, May 18, 2017, and October 24, 2017, and the November 16, 2017 counts involved statements made by Danchenko on those dates to FBI agents regarding information he had received from an anonymous caller who he believed to be a particular individual, when in truth and in fact he knew that was not the case. The information purportedly conveyed by the anonymous caller included the allegations that there were communications ongoing between the Trump campaign and Russian officials and that the caller had indicated the Kremlin might be of help in getting Trump elected. Now, Steele's dossier, which was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic Party, was indeed, as I already mentioned, used by the FBI in Crossfire Hurricane to obtain FISA warrants to investigate the communications of the top Trump campaign officials, uh, Carter Page chief among them. The December 2019 Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz released a report finding that the FBI had made 17 significant errors and omissions in applying for the FISA warrants using the Steele dossier. Remember, we covered that at the time. But just as a reminder, quoting from Horowitz's report, we concluded that the failures described above and in this report represent a serious performance failures by the supervisory and non-supervisory agents with responsibility over the FISA applications. These failures prevented the Office of Intelligence from fully performing its gatekeeper function and deprived the discussion and the decision the discussion of the decision makers denied them the opportunity to make fully informed decisions. Although some of the factual misstatements and omissions were found in this review were arguably more significant than others. We believe that all of them taken together resulted in FISA applications that make it appear that the information supporting probable cause was stronger than it actually was in the case. Continuing quoting here, we identified at least 17 significant errors or omissions in the Carter Page FISA applications and many additional errors in the Woods procedures. These errors and omissions resulted from case agents providing wrong or incomplete information to the OI, that's Office of Intelligence, and failing to flag important issues for discussion. Now, let's take that in its totality, and let's discuss what they're actually talking about. The omissions were that they knew Steele was no longer considered credible among the British intelligence circles. But what makes the Danchenko issue here even more interesting is when we're going back and talking about the individual that Danchenko was talking to about Russia officials being involved and that the Kremlin was trying to help Trump, the individual that we're talking about happens to be one of Hillary Clinton's top campaign uh, officials. Hillary Clinton's campaign officials were literally trying to help make the Steele dossier worse than it was. This goes beyond 
circular reason and circular logic. This actually takes the left's best issues, the, the left's best strategies, and turns them on their head, a whole new level of sophistication in an effort to try and create a credibility issue for former President Donald J. Trump. This guy has been charged with making these false statements, so criminal activity has been established. Danchenko? Danchenko? I, if I'm mispronouncing your very Russian-sounding name with my East Tennessee tongue, I apologize. That'll be the only thing I apologize for in this case. They left out the fact that Danchenko, Danchenko, whichever it is, was also known by the FBI to be extremely unreliable regardless. This is a man who has a multiple disorderly conduct arrest under his belt. He has an alcohol problem, evidently, and he has a very big problem with behaving himself in public once he's become inebriated. This is a guy who needs a lot of money to live his lifestyle. It, it's, it's crazy. This is a guy who was willing to collect a check and was willing to say, yeah, I'm getting this information, and he misrepresented where he was getting the information from, still then further misrepresented what was actually in it and how reliable his source was. And then the FBI going to the Pfizer courts misrepresented exactly how reliable the information they had happened to be. I mean, this is literally a, a freaking house of cards that were being built with cards that were half as thick as the average regular playing deck, which means they were ready to fall apart after the first level. Anybody who had a bit of integrity would have stopped this before it ever got to the Pfizer courts. Again, I have serious questions, and I know we've, we've expressed this in the past on the broadcast, serious questions about how much of this the Pfizer court shouldn't have been able to know ahead of time. How much of this should they have been able to just say, you know what, this doesn't seem right. What is your source? This doesn't seem like a reliable source. Who is this guy? Tell us more. But at the end of the day, the Pfizer court is supposed to take what's been given to them and make a determination from there. So I'm willing to give them a, a little bit of a pass in so much that a court is in a terrible position when they have information in front of them that contradicts each other. Now, we expect judges to be able to make these kind of decisions, but at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to going in front of the family court and asking for an order of protection, right? The person asking for the order of protection is going to say, yes, this other person has been threatening me. This other person has been physically abusive. This other person is not going to leave me alone. They're going to continue to be a nuisance, a bother, and a potential physical threat to me. And then the judge is going to ask this person that's being accused of this, and this person is going to say, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. I've never done this. I would never do that, blah, blah, blah. Now, the judge, not knowing either person, is almost... Always, 99.999 keep going times out of 100 is going to say order of protection uh, approved. They're going to put that order of protection into enforcement because, number one, you want to err on the side of safety. You want to err on the side of caution. If you're going to make a mistake, make the mistake on the side of the person who's most likely to be harmed. So on this other side, if... You're being accused of this terrible behavior, and they're going to put an order of protection on you. If you weren't going to do any of these things, this order of protection doesn't really affect you. It's a little different than that situation here, though, because this did affect 
the error on the side of what's safer. Now, the Pfizer court is going to see this offered up and say, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to make a mistake on protecting our election integrity from Russian interference. This was the case being presented to them. And even if they had no real reason to feel like this was a true concern, the evidence that was put in front of them was enough to make you say, okay, if these people aren't that, then we will proceed and we will do this. We will allow it. And because they have to do do follow-ups, because they have to come back to renew these warrants, you're presuming, as the judge, that the FBI is going to be straight up with you. You're presuming that the FBI is going to bring you as factual information as they have available and that it is not going to be biased. See, we have the luxury of hindsight here. We know after seeing what transpired with various FBI agents and various FBI attorneys, uh, sometimes referred to as the lovers, that there was, in fact, bias in play. That there were, in fact, FBI agents that were more concerned about protecting the country from Donald Trump ever becoming president than they were concerned about doing their job in accordance to law, order, and the United States Constitution. We know that to be the case now. They've been flat out busted. There's no more argument. There's no no argument from the, the anyone in the left saying that these agents acted appropriately. And the same agent just mysteriously happened to be the same person investigating Hillary Clinton's missing emails and, and the missing emails that ended up on uh, Carlos Danger's laptop. It's Anthony Weiner, for those of you that don't recall. Yeah, it's a crazy world we live in, boys and girls. A crazy world indeed. All right, so at any rate, major arrest there. And that's kind of a good thing. I'm happy to see it. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens next. John Durham slowly but apparently getting around to doing what we've needed him to do. So kudos there. Keep up the good work. Let's see which domino falls next. All right, so that's going to be pretty much it for the first hour today. So for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast on uh, radio, that's going to be it for today. So please tune back in again tomorrow because that's when most likely you're going to get to hear hour number two of this live show. If you are listening to the live show or if you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. The show obviously continues after this. But for those of you that I must say goodbye to right now, just remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, uh, stay safe out there, stay healthy, and, you know, be smart even if it goes against your nature. She was from a blue state clan Taught to praise the little man Told that union saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows and he 
couldn't say when, he couldn't say how, he couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. And had a kid Tried to live like their parents did But both their parties taxed them close to death They learned to hate the public schools Watched TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why he was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west They homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less They can say when, they can say how, and they can say why, they're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes.
the damn UN. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. With all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble host, Tim Tap, Coming to you live from Historic Rome County, Tennessee. And yes, I am also your mostly peaceful host. That, that's also me. All right. Glad to have you guys here. Thank you so very much. As always, let me start off by welcoming everyone to the show and thanking you so much for spending a little time with me. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. Uh, regardless of where you're listening, if you're listening at BTR, if you're listening at Spreaker, if you're listening to wherever you get your podcasts from, or if you're listening to the rebroadcast on great radio stations across the country, you know, stations like K. Y-A-H, you know, 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority. Yes, thank you so much as I bring a little East Tennessee flavor to Utah's Talk Authority. Glad to have you guys listening in as well. And thank you so much. We're on seven days a week, seven days a week at Utah. They're listening to this show seven days a week. And thank you guys for making this one of the more popular shows on KYAH. I certainly appreciate it. All right. And uh, a shout out again to the fine folks listening in India. This show is truly an international show. And uh, I've been watching the numbers again. And strangely enough, uh, the listeners coming from the Spreaker app, I'm actually slightly more played in India than in the United States. And that is huge. That's huge. It's it's kind of odd uh, to me, but I certainly appreciate that as well. So thank you so very much, guys. All right, let's let's uh, let's jump into things. This is the second hour of a live broadcast for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast. And those rebroadcasts on terrestrial radio stations are typically done in one-hour increments. So you get one hour one day and uh, the next hour on the following day. So for the benefit of those of you listening to the rebroadcast, uh, this live show was done on November 7th, 2021, and it's a few brief moments after 4 p.m. Eastern, just just so you know. And if you're not sure what exactly 4 p.m. Eastern is, especially now that we've underwent the dreaded uh, time change once again, we're back to standard time. No longer daylight savings time, we're standard time, so it gets dark by 5 o'clock now here in the Eastern time zone. Uh, I trust, no matter what time zone you're in, because if you listen to the show on the regular, you're obviously pretty smart. So uh, you are more than capable of adjusting to your time zone accordingly. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, Joe Biden has had a very bad, terrible, horrible, no good weekend. Part of this is because he's being called out on a lot of things. The truth is not something he's being able to avoid. And it's not just a certain reporter by the last name of Ducey from uh, Fox that's sticking it to him the most, although he is leading the charge. There's legitimate journalistic integrity being demonstrated by a few others, even if they thought they were trying to uh, provide some cover. Because the cover just isn't there when it comes to asking Joe Biden a question and him kind of losing it, which seems to be happening more often now than before. Now, mark my words, he he is not long for that office. But before we get into that, I, I do need to, to go into one other thing. So we're going to try to talk about a few things that happened 
uh, starting on Thursday and going on through Saturday of this past week, uh, involving the PPADS portion of Operation PPADS and NEPADS, uh, my name for the Biden administration. But uh, first thing I want to get into is I want to address what happened in Virginia. Uh, the Virginia election is the last time I was able to get on air. I still haven't been able to do the regular format and the regular schedule I was doing before, although I'm working on getting that more normalized and should be there sooner rather than later, I'm hoping. Get back to a lot more live broadcasting, too. I much prefer internet radio over podcasting, where internet radio, you know, you're live, mistakes happen on air, they just happen, you flow with them, you go on, it's kind of fun working without a net. Uh, The podcasting version, when you're recording the show, you can go back, you can edit, you can take some of your bigger blunders out, or you can just flat out start over. Like, that's terrible, let's do it again. Which probably then will have you asking, dang, is this really the best version you could do? Okay, anyway. Uh, let's let's start with the Virginia election fallout because clearly last time I was with you guys, I was discussing the fact that I really thought it was going to be a close election. I really thought that Republicans winning in Virginia was kind of pie in the sky. That the idea, that the very notion that these elections had gotten close was the true essence of the story. That enough people were starting to pay enough attention, enough parents were starting to get angry enough that it was able to turn the gubernatorial race between Terry McAuliffe and Glenn. And I I keep just calling him Glenn because I I just like the name Glenn. I like sounding like I know him personally. But it made this race between the two of them so very close going into the final days that that itself was a story. And I drew the comparison to the recall election of Gavin Newsom out in California. Now, the real story in California wasn't that Gavin Newsom survived the recall attempt. The real story is that enough people got behind the recall attempt in the first place to make it happen. The way things work in California, it requires a lot of energy, a lot of effort to get that recall election going. The fact that they got there, that's the story. The fact that there were enough low, vote blue no matter who folks to show up to to keep the recall from officially happening, that's not that big of a deal. It's really not that huge of a deal that in California, Gavin Newsom was able to hang on. And I thought we'd have the same kind of scenario going here because of how blue that Virginia has been over the last few election cycles. They haven't just elected Democrats. They have elected uber so-called progressive Democrats in a lot of positions. They went after the pre-born. In fact, I've written articles that have appeared in uh, Cross and Flags. And uh, the Red Elephant uh, having to do with things that Virginia Democrats in particular have been doing. You can find those articles online still. If you go to my my social media sites, you can find links that go to a lot of my published articles, wherever you may wish to go. I mean, you might have to to go down the the page a little bit if you want to find it. And and it doesn't matter which platform you go to. If I'm there, I have listed my author pages at various places. You can always go to tapintothetruth.com and there's a little place to send a message to me down near the bottom of the homepage. If you would like for me to email you a, a direct link to some of the articles that I'm talking about, feel free to specifically ask and I will send them to you. Uh, Give me a few days. Point being is that's what I expected. I thought for sure Terry McAuliffe being a disciple of the Clintons would know every dirty trick in the book and would find a way to come up, even if it meant magically at the last hour, come up with the exact number of votes necessary to get the W. But I am so glad to have been wrong. I am so very happy. And and I told you then, I I was rooting 
for Glenn the whole time. I I wanted the governorship. I more than anything, I would be willing to 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 vote for some homeless guy if I lived in Virginia who was clueless but at least wasn't a so-called progressive hack over Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe is one of the most dangerous people in modern politics right now. And I don't think he became any less dangerous other than the fact that at least he's not going to be currently in office. We've got to make sure that that remains the ongoing situation. We need to get everyone associated with the political machine that was the Clinton machine out of office holding and out of politics altogether if we can. But it didn't stop with the governor's office. We've got a phenomenal lieutenant governor that also won. We've got a brand new AG that is taking over the spot. Nearly every Democrat that was up for election, not just in Virginia, but all across the country and a lot of these small places, took a hit. The phrase is a bloodbath was used by more than one political pundit to describe what happened. It's literally like a scene from some of these mobster movies where they come in and they make a hit, and when they do it, they don't just hit one person. They take out the whole family. You can't leave anybody left to avenge their death. It was a bloodbath. That's what happened in Virginia. Virginia, in one night, went from blue to red. They took control of the state legislature. They took control of the attorney general position, and they took control of the governor's mansion in both spots that count. So that's phenomenal. That is absolutely phenomenal. So now we have the natural fallout that's going to come from that, right? Well, the natural fallout that comes from that is the panic of the Democrats. And just like we saw when Donald Trump was first elected, uh, these groups have a very brief moment of self-introspection. And it's very brief. It's that basic just a few moments. And you have to give uh, credit. The folks that thought about it a little longer are the smarter of the group. And there were a few folks that are still warning, that are still saying that, hey, maybe this is just not the right tact. Maybe we come across as annoying or out of touch. But then there were some people that just, they simply can't process information, and they immediately went to the same old defense. This is a result of white supremacy and racism. White supremacy and racism, that's the problem. You have other people that aren't smart enough to know what they're looking at. Uh, people like AOC, who comes out immediately and starts saying, well, this is clearly a result of us not offering progressive enough action. We didn't move far enough, fast enough. We weren't getting things done. Let's take a second, just a very brief second, and use a little constructive criticism towards a speaker that says something with so little critical thinking involved. That constructive criticism, and why I'm trying to help anybody as far to the left as AOC, I don't know, but hey, here it is. Before saying anything, take a moment to analyze what you're responding to. That, that's your constructive criticism for the day, AOC. Take it, leave it, ignore it, ignore it at your power. <laughs> because in truth, I hope you keep going, doing exactly what you're doing. I hope you continue to ignore what is right in front of your face. The American people have spoken in this particular case. The people of Virginia spoke loud and clear. And people in other places across the country, everywhere from New Jersey to freaking California, spoke as well. There's a reason why it was a bloodbath, and it wasn't because they wanted more so-called progressive action. It's because they don't like the progressive action they've already seen. You know how I know that? 
Look at who they did elect. I seem to recall, AOC, a particular candidate that you were you were very high on that got the Democratic nomination that that the locals decided that they would rather vote for a write-in candidate than the Democratic nominee because they don't want a Democratic socialist in that position. So I, I, that, that is something that happened, right? Pretty sure that you're aware of that by the time you were making your statement. But that's the battle cry. Okay, and that's going to be the battle cry. AOC is not the only one who have said we needed to do more. Even Joe Biden came out saying uh, that uh, obviously none of this has anything to do with him. And uh, probably if they had gotten more done, uh, the voters wouldn't have been quite so angry and would not have reacted this way. Also, ain't wrong, incorrect, not what we saw, not what the takeaway from the election in Virginia should be. Don't know how you get this wrong there, uh, Joseph. Don't care how you get this wrong, Joseph. Want you to be aware that it is wrong. And for those of you who are out here and all you're hearing is the media coverage of this and all you're hearing is the people respond in that fashion, trying to sell you the same bill of goods, trying to convince you that this is just because the left hasn't been far enough to the left. We haven't moved fast enough. We haven't built back better efficiently that those evil, evil Republicans are still standing in our way. And and those two Democrats in the Senate that have forgotten that they're Democrats are they're stopping everything the American people want. That's got to be their battle cry. That has to be what they try to sell because now they know the clock is ticking. Make no mistake, boys and girls, these folks who have half a brain and are in on the joke about the utopian future that they're trying to sell to you, they've known all along the only way to get there is to follow Howard and Pip. They've known all along that we can only destroy this country from within, that the American people are too strong to be overtaken from the outside. No invasion is ever going to hold. No other nation, regardless of how technologically advanced they be, no matter how many uh, members of the military they may have, how much they may outnumber us, no nation in the world head-to-head directly can attack and challenge and expect victory over the United States of America, not because we are some great nation with untouchable powers, but because of what makes our nation great. No, not the government. No, not the military. Not our technical prowess. Our people, period. Our people, even even the ones who've kind of forgotten, even the ones who've sort of bought in on a lot of these notions and ideas that the left keeps throwing out, instinctively know that when it's time to get rolling, we stand together and we get it done. We saw it after 9-11. Didn't matter what color you were. Didn't matter what religion you were. Didn't matter who you voted for in the last election. It was time to roll. America had been attacked. That's an attack against all of us. We stood strong. We stood together. The sad part is it just didn't last long enough. And unfortunately, we had political operatives who knew that if they were going to win an election upcoming, they were going to have to be the ones to shatter it. And wouldn't you know it, that, as is most often the case, was the Democratic Party. Now, the ones who are on the inside, the ones who are in the know, they know that incrementalism and that sly misrepresentation uh, about what they're really up to, that redefining what words mean in order to make that promise of being for the people, being for the working class, that's how they win. That's how they convert us. They they 
slowly gain control of the universities. And then from there, once it was undisputed control of the universities, they start getting control of the high schools and the middle schools and the elementary schools to the point that they have people so indoctrinated that you have educators that are further indoctrinating based on the indoctrination that they had. They don't even realize that they're indoctrinating instead of educating because they're victims of the indoctrination themselves. They know They know inherently those folks in the shadows at the top. They know exactly what they're doing. They know that incrementalism is how you win this fight. But you see, they got impatient. The left got very impatient, and they thought, they believed in their heart of hearts when they got Barack Hussein al-Akbar Obama elected that they were past the tipping point, that they didn't have to hide in the shadows anymore. So now they move around. They're way more direct about what it is they want. And every time they tell the straight-up truth about what they want, they still lose. And every time they lie about it, but we see them turn around and do the exact things they said they wouldn't, we're looking at you, Joe Biden. There is a pushback. There is a price to pay. Terry McAuliffe lost Virginia. He would have lost that race anyway, I believe, because he basically stuck a thumb in the eye of parents all across the state, and then he was uh, flipping them double-barreled birds the rest of the way towards the end of the election. With one of his final statements about education being that nearly 50% of the students in our schools are students of color, but 80% of the teachers are white. We know what we have to do. Yeah, teach them. Teach them actual American history. Teach them actual mathematics. Teach them actual, whatever the class may be, as long as it's something that uh, is something relevant. I mean, uh, you don't need to be teaching them uh, feminist theory. You don't need to be teaching them uh, any type of racial essentialism, which is actually what they're doing through the lens of CRT, which is how they can look themselves in the mirror and tell you, we are not teaching critical race theory. We've never taught critical race theory. Well, you know, if that's not an issue in the schools, why are you getting so upset when somebody says we're going to ban it? If it's, if it's not there, it doesn't hurt anybody to ban it, does it? But it certainly seems to ruffle some feathers. And that's because they know technically what's actually properly referred to as critical race theory isn't being taught in public schools because that is strictly kind of a law school uh, notion, But that doesn't mean they're not taking the racial essentialism from critical race theory and applying it to everything else they do. We're getting admissions from educators now, the ones that are still bright enough to know that, you know, not only should we probably not be teaching this so that little eight-year-old girls are going home and asking their parents if they're evil because they're white, not only should we not be doing that, but if it's really not wrong for us to be teaching this racial essentialism, why does everybody in a position of authority keep lying about us doing it? Now, there's some critical thought for you. I'm engaging in critical thinking. The people in charge are telling me we should do this. And then the people in charge are telling the public, we've never done this. So obviously, obviously they have to hide in the shadows because they are doing it. They're just doing it under the guise of racial essentialism. Okay, so that's the new word you need to be looking out for. But they all have to make this push. The battle cry has to be, we just haven't done enough. We haven't helped them enough. And they reacted out of anger. That's the battle cry because now they know the truth. 
when they're out in the open about what they're doing, even the folks that typically vote Democrat are saying, whoa, brother, this isn't what you promised. A lot of people in this country are still pretty close to the center, whether they fall center left or center right. A lot of people in this country don't pay close enough attention to what you guys are promising to get into the details to see what's different and what's honest and what's true. And so when they get promised that Joe barely there Beijing Biden is going to be a moderate, he's going to bring back normality, he's going to basically be a freaking houseplant, sit there and let the world get back to being less volatile because of mean tweets. They voted for that, and they ended up getting barely there Beijing Biden being a front man reading whatever notes he's given and having every string pulled from behind the scenes. Biden does not know what he is saying from one minute to the next, and that's part of what we're going to get to here in just a little bit. But they have to work quickly now, and they still need you, the American people, to believe what they're saying just a little bit longer. Because this infrastructure bill that they're putting together, that they're trying to push through, it's not got a thing to do with what you typically traditionally think of as infrastructure. But there is infrastructure in there. They're trying to create the governmental infrastructure that is going to allow them to run an administrative state where we no longer have our republic. That's what they're going to do. It's not going to matter what you vote for anymore if they get their way. If they pass this bill, it's done. It's over. This is the final days of the republic if you let these people move forward. Not hyperbole. Not over-exaggerated effort to try to get attention. I do want your attention on this, though. I want you to pay close attention because that's what the infrastructure bill is all about. Same as their so-called Build Back Better. It is all about, Build Back Better is all about the Great Reset, and this infrastructure bill is about changing the political infrastructure to allow them to force through, to force through the ideas of the Great Reset, no matter how hard you push against it at that point. That's what is going on there, ladies and gentlemen. Make no doubt and make no mistake, everyone knows exactly what it is that this pushback is over. They know there's not a politician in the game that doesn't realize that they have just been backhanded by the voters in the state of Virginia and by other voters across the country because they don't want this so-called progressive crap to continue. They voted people in place to be a roadblock to that, to stop it, to reverse it, to do what needs to be done to make America start acting, looking, and feeling like America again. That's what they voted for, and you guys ain't it. So Americans, as voters, understand every time you hear them say that, that is their battle cry. That's how they're rallying the forces because they're going to try to push through before 2022 everything they've got on the plate right now because that is is their path to victory and to ending the republic once and for all. They know the clock is ticking, period. We just have to hold out a little longer. So you guys don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after this brief break. This is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Are you looking for a job because you got laid off because of the coronavirus? Most veterans think that the GI Bill can only be used for college, but that's not true. It can also be used for retraining programs. So if you're out of work and looking for a new career, go to the VA.gov and look at the GI Bill benefits. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. While millions of Americans prayed to God Almighty that the voters of Virginia had enough of the Democrat Socialists, 
Many were totally unaware of yet another great history-making American story. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, Republican Glenn Youngkin, governor-elect, squared off against Democrat Socialist Terry McAuliffe and won The other winner, along with the people of Virginia, was Lieutenant Governor-elect Winsome Sears, who came to the United States from Jamaica with her dad when she was just a little girl. Her dad taught her about the endless possibilities and opportunities available here in the United States and that her color was not an impediment to her success. She heeded her dad's wise counsel and chose the path of success and did not allow bitter blacks or leftist whites to convince her to be a politically motivated, bitter, American-hating loser. The United States Marine Corps veteran gave credit to both God and her dad for her historic win as the Commonwealth's first female to win the Lieutenant Governorship. Congratulations, Lieutenant Governor Sears and Semper Fi. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Let's talk about guns purely from a self-defense perspective. How many people are there in America? Well, if you said just over 300 million, you're correct. It's closer to 325 million. Now, let me ask you this. How many acts of violence are there per year in America? Well, if you said just over 1 million, you're correct. It's approximately 1.2 to 1.3 million. So if there are just over 300 million people in America and just over 1 million acts of violence occurring in America every year, what are your chances of being the victim of one of those attacks? Well, if you said 1 in 300, you're correct. I don't know about you, but I don't like those odds. I know your odds might change depending on where you live, but if you live in an area with less crime, wouldn't that make someone else's odds go up? I mean, the number of people in America didn't change. And the number of violent attacks per year didn't change. Some of the highest crime rates in America are in Democrat-run cities where there are the strictest and most restrictive gun laws in the country, putting good people at risk because they can't defend themselves. The anti-gun left and anti-freedom groups like the Everytown Gun Grabbers continue to paint a dishonest picture of guns in America by telling you that guns cause violence. This is why they push the term gun violence. It's to help people who aren't paying attention believe that if we were to remove guns, the violence would magically go away. The truth is, not having a gun is more likely to make you a victim of violence. Two and a half million times per year in America, guns are used to save lives. This doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. By the way, 46% of those defensive gun uses are by women. The more guns are restricted, the more people are put at risk. The people who try to scare you and convince you that guns are the problem ignore the fact that we're all potential for being a 1 in 300 statistic. The people who ignore this are the same people who will purchase a lottery ticket with a 1 in 20 million chance of winning. They ignore the facts when pushing their agenda, and they know the odds that they're creating are dangerous. Human violence in America is not an argument for more gun restrictions. It's an argument for more guns in the hands of good people. 
So regardless of how desperate the anti-gun left is to disarm Americans, we've found a simple and effective way to defend yourself from violent attacks, rapes, carjackings, or shootings. Shoot back. Anti-gun hypocrisy has run rampant because of a dishonest media and an anti-gun political party that's willing to sacrifice our great American values, put good people at risk, and destroy cities with unnecessary violence just so they can gain political power. It's time we understand their strategy so we can defeat them. Our founding fathers saw these tyrants coming over 200 years away. That's why the Second Amendment was written. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. All right, everybody, we are back from that very brief break, and that very brief break, and uh, we're going to try to push through a lot of stuff very quickly, so stay with me. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, Joe Biden's very bad, terrible, horrible uh, weekend. Uh, <laughs> we'll start with the good news for uh, Joe Biden, however. Uh, bad news for America, good news for Joe Biden. Because after a last-minute change to the voting calendar late this past Friday evening, 13 Republicans crossed the aisle and helped Democrats pass Joe Biden's so-called $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, meaning that now it is up to the Senate to try to stop this thing. And I certainly hope that the Senate will stand up and do exactly that. Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinemar, I'm looking at you guys as well. Stand up. Do not let this crazy thing happen. It is a bad deal for America. Like I just said before going into the break, this isn't infrastructure the way we typically think of it. This is infrastructure, governmental infrastructure, to try and help allow them to force down the elements of the Great Reset on us when they're done. Make no mistake about it. Now, six Democrats, uh, all part of the uber-leftist squad variety, uh, six Democrats voted against the bill, but still it passed thanks to the 13 Republicans who voted for it. The final vote came down to a 228 to 206 vote. Don Bacon of Nebraska, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, Kinzinger, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, Andrew Garbino of New York, Anthony Gunzel, Gunzel I'm sorry, I'm just butchering Anthony's name. Sorry, Anthony, of Ohio, uh, John Kako of New York, Nicole uh, Maltakakis of New York, David McKinley of West Virginia, Tom Reed of New York, Chris Smith of New Jersey, Fred Upton of Michigan, Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey, and Don Young of Alaska were the 13 Republicans who voted in favor of the bill, which is estimated to add $256 billion to the deficit over the next 10 years, uh, regardless of the fact that we keep being told that eh, these two bills— this and the so-called Build Back Better bill uh, are going to cost us zero. They're not zero bills. You're actually making changes to the tax code to increase taxes on someone. That's how you're paying for it. The logic, and we've talked about this before, the logic behind saying we're going to increase taxes on somebody to cover it means it's going to cost zero is the equivalent of me saying uh, I'm going to buy a car 
paying for the car and then saying, well, it costs zero because I've already paid for it. That car did not cost zero. These are the people we put in charge of our economy, boys and girls. Now, six members of the squad voted against the bill, like I mentioned. Jamal Bowman of New York, Cory Bush of Missouri, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, uh, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and, of course, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan to finish it up. They voted against it because it's not expensive enough and because they didn't get the guarantee that the Build Back Better bill would move alongside it. That was their condition for voting for this is to get the Build Back Better bill passed through. So uh, uh, thank you, uh, Republicans from uh, actually, not surprisingly, mostly places where you have to kind of be Democrat light to get elected as a Republican. Places like New York and Pennsylvania here, Michigan. Alaska is a little surprising that uh, a Republican from Alaska would do that. I'm kind of surprised that uh, Don Bacon from Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska's not going to put up with that. No surprises, though, from Adam uh, Kinzinger. He's, of course, is a big anti-never-Trumper guy who's already announced that he's not going to seek re-election. Some of the names on here, not that surprising. But what is surprising is here they are. They've done this. And... Now we have to worry about what happens in the Senate. And then if it does pass in the Senate, which sadly enough, we do have indicators from people like Joe Manchin that he's on board with a infrastructure bill. This may get through 50-50 with Kamala Harris passing the, the winning vote. So the infrastructure bill may be a done deal. But what's scary isn't what's in the House version. It's not what's going to be in the Senate version. It's going to be when they get together and work out their differences. That's what's going to be scary. Now, that's the little bit of what looks like good news for Joe Biden, bad news for America. Here are some of the other things that came out or happened directly that made this past weekend, starting from about Thursday of this past week all the way through Saturday, Joe Biden's Very bad, no good, terrible, horrible weekend. First of all, it was discovered and fully reported that Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill bars religious schools from using infrastructure funds to renovate their buildings or to build anything new. That's right. This act that's been pushed by Biden and his Democratic Party has a provision in it that bans religious schools from using infrastructure grants to improve their facility. In the sector dealing with child care headed facilities grants, the bill specifically states, and I'm quoting from it now, from a portion of the quality child care amount, a state shall provide support, including through awarding facilities grants, for remodeling, renovation, or repair of a building or facility to the extent permitted under Section 658FB of the Child Care and Development Block Grant Act of 1990. Additional uses for fiscal years 2022 through 2024 and in subsequent years with approval from the Secretary, a state may provide such facility grants for construction, permanent improvements, or major renovations of a building or facility primarily used for providing child care services in according with the following. Section AA, federal interest provisions will not apply to the renovation or rebuilding of privately owned family child care homes 
under this subclause. And subclause BB, eligible child care providers may not use funds for buildings or facilities that are used primarily for sectarian instruction or religious worship. So specifically, they say if you're a person of faith and they don't really care what faith it is, you don't get to put your fingers in this particular pie. That came out, and that, of course, had a lot of Christian schools uh, members kind of upset. Now, for the record, Representative Mike Kelly, a Republican from Pennsylvania, did offer an amendment to strike the provision called the Religious Freedom Amendment, uh, but it failed during the Ways and Means Committee's uh, markup back in September. Kelly's press secretary, Matt Nobler, uh, stated that the congressman was disappointed that Democrats wouldn't grant such a simple request to help our children during previous negotiations. His religious freedoms amendment was an inclusive bill that would have given parents greater choice and allow them to pick a child care service that was best for them. So, you know, again, not what they're looking for. Biden's apparent hostility to religious organizations follows in the footsteps of his former boss, you know, the former President Barack Obama. Uh, he was not real big on those ideas either. Again, Democrats, especially socialists, uh, full-blown communists, they, they don't like the idea of religious people even existing. They don't like the idea because people of faith are always going to put their faith in the creator, never put their faith in the state. Democrats can't gain the type of power and control over everyone that they're looking to get if they have someone who's not willing to just put all their trust into the government. It's that plain and simple. So that was the first thing. Because there was some criticism. Not enough reporting on this one, though. It needs to continue. We need to make sure that a lot of people are talking about that issue because it's legit. It's got to be out at the forefront, right? People need to know. So then we had Joe Biden, who evidently was insulting the intelligence of the average American citizen, asked some questions specifically about our ongoing issue with the logistics in the country, the supply chain issue, right? And so when asked for some specifics, he dodged the question uh, by saying, do you really think people would understand what we're saying uh, if we got into the technical aspects? Say, say what, Joe? I mean, even if that's what you really think and make no mistake about it. That's what a lot of these elected officials really think, regardless of what letter appears after their name. They honestly do believe that they are always the smartest people in the room and that we, their constituents, are often the dumbest people they will ever encounter, which is why it's beneath most of them to even directly address us. They have staffers do that on their behalf. But to sit there and say, do you honestly believe that we, the American people, would understand the logistics business, that we would actually understand the supply chain issues if you were to explain to us. Well, here's the deal, Joe. A lot of Americans have at some point in time worked somewhere in the supply chain. And while they may not have a full and fundamental understanding of how what they did depended on what the person driving the truck did, what the person unloading supplies uh, at the port did, they still understand that if they worked for a company that manufactured something, if they couldn't get a truck driver to bring the goods in, to bring the uh, ingredients in, to bring the parts in, whatever you may be manufacturing, then 
they eventually run out of things to make because you got to have the parts. You got to have the ingredients. You've got to whatever you're making at your business, whatever's required to put it together, you got to have it or you can't put anything else together. And then eventually when you've sold everything that you have, money's going to stop coming to you because you got nothing else to send them. Then the truck driver is going to tell you, well, yeah, we would deliver this stuff if we could get it. It's not being unloaded from the ships that are coming in from wherever it's coming from. Yeah, you know what? You could try, I don't know, Joe, maybe this is too much of a stretch. Maybe maybe you are just so far above the rest of us with that intellect that it just looks like you're suffering from dementia. Maybe you are just so far above us that you're incapable of, I don't know, try dumbing it down for us instead of saying, do you really think they would understand it? Joe, yes. Yes, we would. We very much would understand it. We would understand it far better than you think. So that happened. Again, I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about it, even amongst some of the right-wing uh, informative sites. But it's there, and it was clear. It's clearly dismissive of the American public. It's clearly insulting of our intelligence, and there should be way more of a backlash than I've seen. So I'm encouraging you, as we go into the new week, bring forth the wrath of the American. Let Joe Biden know that the reason we chant, let's go Brandon, is because we are out here having to live in the real world where the supply chain issues and where the logistic issues are hitting us so very hard, where we're having to live with no longer being energy independent, where we're having to live with the fact that you have so many people you're beholding to that you can't make anything actually happen, even if you had a change of heart and wanted to. You really want to change things? How are you going to get the longshoremen to work the kind of hours necessary while still abiding by your vaccine mandates? How are you going to make that happen there, Joe? I mean, there's a reason why we call you barely there, Beijing Biden, and you want to know what the reason is? You already know the reason. It's because you go around saying stupid things like that. But, you know, there's some truth to it. You're admitting the truth of what you really think about average Americans. Just like when you told us on the campaign trail that you don't work for us. Boy, you weren't kidding, were you? Not 100% on exactly who it is you are working for, but you certainly, certainly are not working for the American people. There's some folks in Beijing that uh, are very appreciative of what you have to sell, of what you have to say, of how you're behaving. <laughs> doesn't stop them from making fun of you and talking about how weak you are, how clueless you are. It doesn't change a thing on the world stage, does it, Joe? I mean, the world became far more dangerous place when you were elected, and it just keeps getting more dangerous with everything you do to weaken our military, to deny our allies and to treat American citizens like they're not worthy of your time, attention, or the U.S. military's protection. Speaking specifically about Afghanistan on that last part. But that's okay, Joe. It's okay. You've shown the world who you are. And the most important part of the world, as far as that's concerned, is the American citizen. I don't suspect you'll be getting 81 million votes again, even if they try to pull the same shenanigans that they pulled in the last election, because guess what? It's going to be very difficult to convince anybody that you got 12 million votes upcoming. It's going to be very difficult to convince anybody that you got 12 votes upcoming. A few members of the family who really don't want you to be living solely on your uh, pension, since in your final days you're going to be shipped off to a home soon anyway. 
No, there will be shenanigans. Shenanigans. There will be an attempt. But here's the deal. If the next election cycle taking place in 2022 looks like we just saw in Virginia, man, are you going to be done. You're not going to make it through 2022. Neither is Kamala. Neither is the current Speaker of the House, Miss Nancy Mimi Pelosi. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be fortunate to stay out of jail because the American people are now demanding actual accountability. And the more we see what you guys have been up to, the more we know it's got to come to an end. And it does. It has to come to an end. But wait, there's more. Because that's just little things. That's just him being caught saying things that you shouldn't say, which that was going on the entirety of the campaign. They got to a point where they couldn't keep him hidden anymore. Now he's out front and he's saying things that you don't want him saying. You also had this debacle over the upcoming payouts to illegals. Certain reporter from Fox News asked him about the Wall Street Journal report, which stated that the Biden administration was currently looking at the potential of paying out to families of illegal border crossers who had their children separated from them at the time of their crossing, a dollar amount of up to $450,000 apiece per family member as a result of having been separated. So the question was asked directly. Now, you know, we had the report. We had the report come from the Wall Street Journal. Typically, a fairly reputable source of news and information. Well, the question directly to Joe Biden, Joe Biden answers the question. He says that that's garbage because the question was, if you're going to be doing this, don't you think that that is going to, in fact, make other people, it's going to incentivize other people to cross the border illegally? And his response to that was, well, if you're going to keep putting that junk out, of course it will. Uh, What is the junk? Are you saying this is a junk report? Yes. You're saying uh, $450,000 per person, $450,000 a piece? It's not going to happen. He got angry about it later because the very next day, after calling this a garbage report, the very next day, people speaking for his behalf, part of the uh, press, part of the press corps for the communications department for the White House come out and says, no, Joe Biden is very comfortable with the Department of Justice being in these negotiations. Uh, he was being imprecise. He uh, once again leaves it for us to uh, be precise, basically saying, well, Joe Biden was basically telling you the truth. But uh, part of that truth was that uh, he was really denying the dollar amount which now officially has become the uh, the line from the administration. Joe Biden has even said as such because Joe Biden was called out again later. On Saturday, he was asked specifically, uh, you called this a garbage report. Uh, what What's truly at issue here? And he had a weird exchange where he got strangely angry at one point, said, and you lost your child. He's gone. Legal or illegal, you deserve compensation. But when he... Just randomly started yelling. Again, another sign of dementia. Randomly starts yelling. Just taking it out on this reporter that's just trying to ask a question. Joe, guess what? When you were running, you should have known this is part of the job. Now, granted, when you were VP and you saw the kit gloves the media treated Obama with, maybe you just thought you were going to get the same deal. But this wasn't even a hard question. But again, he got on board with the same notion that he's been told by his handlers to say that, no, my denial was about the dollar amount, not that we're going to be doing it. 
because evidently the ACL has filed multiple lawsuits for some of these families, some of which have already left the country again, left either deported or self-deported, went back home. They filed lawsuits on their behalf claiming that this was illegal and human uh, behaviors. Never mind the fact that it was a criminal act that put them in that position in the first place. Never mind the fact that this actually started under the Obama administration. I have yet to hear that they're going to be offering uh, or suing on behalf of the families that were separated under Obama. I have yet to hear that they're going to be suing over the families that were separated under the Biden administration, which that has occurred to much smaller amounts because it took a little time for his executive orders to, to take place and fill in. Here you are trying to kick in an executive order that says, oh, we're never doing it again. Meanwhile, you still have federal courts telling you you need to get back to the stay in Mexico policy. You have multiple states suing you over this. But just the oddity. Now, I was prepared to come out and say on Friday night, if I'd been able to broadcast on Friday night, that this is a perfect example. When members of the communication office for the White House comes out and says, well, here's what Joe Biden said. Here's what he meant, that that was a sign that either A, Joe Biden was lying or B, he didn't know what was going on. Which would you prefer? Both of them are bad. But at this point, I'm pretty sure he was lying and he knew it. And I'm pretty sure that they're lying and they know it because now they're still arguing that there's no way of knowing what that dollar amount will be, which is why the freaking Wall Street Journal said dollar amounts up too, because evidently that's going to be the upper limit value that, that the government's going to hold course and say, well, fine, you're just going to have to go to court if you're not going to accept a settlement below that amount. The fact that they're even willing to offer a settlement, the amount that should be settled on for this should be zero. Zero dollars, zero of my taxpayer dollars going to these people because they chose to break the law. They chose to violate our sovereignty of this nation and come across our border without invitation or permission. The inhumanity of the treatment, Tim. Trump was a monster. No. Trump was following the law that was put in place while Barack Obama was president, and Barack Obama was literally putting kids in cages because they were having to refit kennels to try and find places to put them. And I said at the time when that came out, I don't even have a problem with that because I honestly think that all of a sudden they had this problem that they didn't want to deal with. They didn't know what to do, and they were trying to do something uh, with something that was available on the fly. It was a short-term quick solution, or so they thought. It didn't end up being short-term, but it was kind of thrown out of them out of the blue by the courts. But this this blowout was ridiculous, but this still isn't – what Joe Biden will be most upset about. See, what he's going to be most upset about is the fact that his vaccine mandate was done temporary. See, a federal court has now put a freeze on the Biden vaccine mandate. They have put this freeze in place saying that he's not going to be able to pursue it. And that's fine. That's great, in fact. Because as soon as it actually came out, as soon as OSHA had their orders, there were multiple businesses and multiple states that jumped on board filing lawsuits immediately. But on Saturday of this past week, the U.S. Federal Court of Appeals issued a stay 
temporarily halting Joe Biden's vaccine mandate that, of course, would have required companies with at least 100 employees to get vaccinated for the coronavirus or to be tested uh, multiple times a week and wear a mask even though you're getting tested. Now, presumably, you're not going to let these unvaccinated people that test positive continue to work. So why does somebody who's testing negative have to wear a mask, especially a mask that most likely uh, is not up to the uh, virus spreading preventative requirements. It doesn't meet the specifications. If you're not wearing uh, the uh, K95s, then you are still very susceptible to the viruses. It's just virtue signaling otherwise, something that they're particularly good at, something that they like to do. So for now, OSHA can't move forward. OSHA's not going to be showing up at your place of business if you happen to have more than 100 employees violating this we're writing you a f- they're not going to be writing fines they're not going to be closing anybody's doors at least until after the u.s court of appeals for the fifth circuit uh has a full hearing this coming from the circuit court of appeals uh, fifth circuit before the court is the petitioner's emergency motion to stay enforcement of the occupational safety and health administration's november 5th 2021 emergency temporary standard the mandate pending expected judicial review because the petitioners gave cause to believe there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate the mandate is hereby stayed pending further action by this court now immediately following the release of the osha rule the daily wire who again i've mentioned i am so very proud to have a paid membership with them because that's why I decided to go ahead and and pay for a membership to help them bite this bite. They said they would. They're stepping up and doing it. The Daily Wire was the first major company to file a lawsuit against the Biden administration as the company uh, has said that they would. Stating here from a statement from the Daily Wire, the lawsuit does not take a position on whether someone should receive the vaccine or not. Only against Biden's mandate, which was announced earlier this year and unveiled on Thursday morning. The mandate applies to all companies with 100 or more employees and forces those businesses to police the vaccine status of their employees. The Daily Wire, with over 100 employees, falls under this mandate. The Daily Wire's lawsuit seeks to overturn Biden's executive action, arguing that the order is unconstitutional and that the Biden administration violated federal law in drafting it. Jeremy Boring, the co-founder and the co-CEO of the Daily Wire, explained the company's decision, saying, We're not the enforcement arm of the federal government. Forcing Americans to choose between their livelihoods and their freedom is a grotesque abuse of power, and we won't be a party to it. We will not incur the cost of implementing the test resident. We will not incur the liability of inserting ourselves into the private health decisions and information of our employees. Our company was founded to stand against tyranny, and we will. Some state officials have also vowed to take action against OSHA mandate. Uh, Yesterday, this coming from Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, quote, yesterday I sued the Biden administration over its unlawful OSHA vax mandate. We won just this morning, citing grave statutory and constitutional issues. The Fifth Circuit stayed the mandate. The fight is not over, and I will never stop 
resisting this administration's unconstitutional overreach. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to claim that you've won. I appreciate the fact that you're thinking you won. That's great. Good for you. But here's what's really at issue. The Fifth Circuit, who used to be a slam dunk for any leftist idea, now has some judges sitting on it that was appointed by Donald Trump. So now the Constitution seems to matter once again on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So thankfully, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decided that there was a reason to stay this executive order. The administration is trying to do unconstitutional things in a way that they feel like can't be held to them. There's things that is already permitted to the administrative state by utilizing OSHA. I'm hopeful that not only will this work in stopping this overreach, but will also help smack back the ridiculousness of the overreaching, overpowered authority that's been granted to OSHA in the first place. This while it is definitely an effort on the part of the administration to grab more power and more authority than they've ever had in the past, could end up being the linchpin in this republic finally returning to being a government of, for, and by the people. And that, when that happens, that's when we can declare victory. So good job, Daily Wire. Good job, Jeremy Boring. Good job, every state that's jumped in line to sue over this. Stay in the fight and understand that this brief stay doesn't mean we've won. And the fact that there is precedent that OSHA has been allowed to do this kind of thing in the past, well, that's pretty freaking scary because courts love precedents. And if the court allows the standing precedent of OSHA having this overreaching power, then there's a really good chance that they'll allow this to stand. Now, the next big part of the argument against this mandate has got to come at the unscientific nature as well, because this is a technicality that often works in courts. What makes a company with 100 employees inherently more dangerous to its workers than a company with 99 employees? What makes a company with 102 employees inherently more dangerous than a company with 13 employees that have school-aged children? That's the real question. I'd like to take this moment to remind you that if this hour of broadcast is being cut off, that you're not getting to hear any further on the radio station that you're listening to, please visit one of the podcasts and listen to the remainder because there's one more thing I need to discuss today. It's going to be a real quick hit, so stay with me. An educator in Indiana decided to send out a warning to parents. On Thursday of this past week, a science coach who works in the Indiana public school system issued a video in which he countered the narrative that critical race theory is not being taught in schools. Warning parents, quote, when we tell you critical race theory isn't being taught in our schools, we're lying. Keep looking. Tony Kennett started his speech by acknowledging, quote, I am the science coach and administrator in the largest public school district in Indiana. I'm in dozens of classrooms a week, so I see exactly what we're teaching our students. When we tell you that schools aren't teaching critical race theory, that it's nowhere in our standards, that's misdirection. We don't have the quotes and theories as state standards per se. We do have critical race theory in how we teach. Essentially, he's saying that they are using racial essentialism. Remember I told you earlier, that's the statement to look for. We teach our 
children. We tell our teachers, I'm sorry, we tell our teachers to treat students differently based on color. We tell our students that every problem is a result of white men and that everything Western civilization built is racist. Capitalism is a tool of white supremacy. Those are straight out of Kimberly Crenshaw's main points verbatim in critical race theory, the writings that formed the movement. This is in math, history, science, English, the arts, and now it's not slowing down. If students of color have lower reading scores, it's because of inequity. Therefore, we take from the white students and give to the colored students. That's Richard Delgado, straight out of CRT, an introduction. All teaching is political, with reality and facts taking the back seat. That's Gloria Ladson Billings, who outlined how she saw critical race theory fleshed out in public schools in 1995. This man then said firmly, Quoting again, when schools tell you that we aren't teaching critical race theory, it means one thing. They're telling you to go away and look into our affairs no further. It isn't about transparency. It isn't about cultural relevance. It's race essentialism painted to look like the district cares about students of color. We call it anti-racism. So you feel bad if you disagree with our segregationist activities. It's taking advantage of kids' vulnerability and parents' inactivity to preen over social snake oil schemes designed to create division. He concluded with a call to arms for parents saying, parents, when we tell you critical race theory isn't being taught in our schools, we're lying. Keep looking. Now, Kenneth tweeted uh, saying, Yes, we told principals at the beginning of the year to lie to parents and tell them we weren't using CRT in schools. Yes, we continue to lie. He also later tweeted, yes, we told principals at the beginning, same thing. So multiple times he put it out there. He wants to make sure people didn't miss this. One of Kennett's bios reads, quote, Tony Kennett is a curriculum developer, educator, and STEM coordinator in Indianapolis, Indiana. He is the co-founder of the Chalkboard Review, an education publication seeking to represent all teachers. Now, another person added, I'm sorry, not another person, another bio added, Anthony Kennett is a curriculum developer in Indiana with a bachelor's of science in science education and a master's of arts in curriculum development and education technology. He's a former education policy and legislation advisor to Governor Walker of Wisconsin. So there you have it. This guy is trying to make sure that you know what's going on in the school. So when a teacher tells you we're not teaching critical race theory, when Terry McAuliffe tries to tell you that we have never taught critical race theory in Virginia, when any so-called educator or someone who believes themselves to be progressive says that CRT is not even a real thing, know that they're not being honest with you. They still justify themselves by saying, well, you know, we're not actually teaching critical race theory as it's developed for the collegiate course. But they are using the lens through which critical race theory looks at the world to try and convince these students to look at the world. They are teaching 
racial essentialism to try and convince these children that either A, they are either an oppressor, or B, they are the oppressed. They need the oppressed to feel that way so that they can then be used as cannon fodder when it's time for the socialist revolution to rise up against those mean, evil, greedy capitalists. That's what they need. That's why they took over education in the first place. So thank you, sir, for having the courage to come out and tell the truth. I hope your message gets heard loud and clear by enough Americans. That's going to have to be it for today. I do hope that if you were listening via rebroadcast that you moseyed on over to the podcast and got to hear that segment. If not, missed out on an important one. Sorry. For those of you that listen to the podcast, though, thank you for staying this long. And that's going to have to be it for me today. So, as always, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and, most importantly, to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, stay safe out there, stay healthy as you can, and, you know, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. I'll be back soon. I'm out. using both hands Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Mao, me and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family
is using both hands. Mm-hmm.